Scarlet Knight side of things normally. Thompson again. His outlet is Grant, and he's got room already into plus territory. Oh, my goodness. That was Desmond Igbenison that took the hit on the sideline. We talked about that conversation in the locker room. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? And Grant looks like he's sending a message and showing that Rutgers defense who he wants to be. What a violent football play. Great job by Casey Thompson going through his reads, getting to his outlet, and then Grant with the finish. Oh, I mean, first place is when you end the season, not now. I mean, it's just it's fake first place. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Two consecutive conference runs in a row for the first time since 2018. Our first one-score victory since 2020. A second straight, second half shutout by the defense. Maybe this program's starting to turn a corner under Coach Joseph. Go Big Red. So rare, Honky can't even say win properly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also with Boomer. Well, just saying this is the only Husker fan podcast guaranteed to be less offensive than Iowa football. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, another victory. Uh, Rutgers goes down 14-13, to 13, like there was no doubt. Redcast Rob was there on site, right, Honky? Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he did a great job for us there. Uh, he had a blast. We even did the, the pregame show about two hours before, and that that was all of five minutes planning, and uh, he runs into to Aaron Sorensen, runs into the team. <laughs> Actually, the bus almost drives him over as, a, as the team is getting <laughs> to the field. So that was a lot I of fun. I think they're aiming for him. I think so. If you haven't seen that, Redcasters, it's actually worth your time. Go back. We, we didn't even make the podcast out of it. It's just only – it's a YouTube exclusive. But it was a, about a 30-minute show we did about two hours before the game, and it was a lot of fun. It's very cool. It's very cool. And um, Rob got his first first victory. Is that right? That's correct. His first victory in person. He got to see from the sideline working it. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, well, it wasn't, wasn't pretty uh, by any means. Uh, we got behind uh, early um, and down 13 nothing and a half. Offense continues to struggle to put points on the board there, but uh, we found a way in the fourth quarter, and that defense rose up again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we'll take any way to – I'll never apologize for an ugly win right now, especially after what we've gone through for the greater part of the last five years, but certainly all of last year, all those one-score losses – uh, we'll take any win, one point or not, and uh, and to your point there earlier, David, it's, it's two straight wins now. So <laughs> you got yep, absolutely. We stack some wins. Yeah. All right, Hunk. Well, uh, before we uh, take a deep dive on what happened at Rutgers and uh, turn the page to Purdue, let's take care of our sponsors. Well, absolutely. Uh, as always, we have our hillvarsity.com slash subscribe. Use promo code REDCATCH. You get $10 off your annual subscription to Hail Varsity, the premier uh, Husker Magazine, and uh, great coverage there, part of the Herd App family. Uh, next up is Alumni Hall with two Lincoln locations, downtown 1120 P Street, and then South Point Pavilions right behind Barnes & Noble. You can find them at alumnihall.com slash Nebraska-Cornhuskers. 
and Smack and Smooch, our good friends, Shane and Laura and Elwood, custom shirts, specialty items. You can find them at Smack and Smooch on Facebook and Twitter. I think Rob said Instagram last week. Uh, if you do that, you won't find them. They're not on there yet, but they might be at some point. You never know. But as of right now, find them on Facebook and Twitter. Each year, approximately 5,000 children are diagnosed with brain cancer. Of those children, nearly 30% will not survive, and many of those that do are left with debilitating side effects for life. We're asking you to help by tuning into the 10th annual Team Jack Foundation Radiothon presented by the Home Agency on September 29th. Become a champion for a cure for just $20 a month. Visit teamjackfoundation.org to learn more. Thank you for helping us fight for a cure. Now back to our show. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we mentioned Rob uh, was out in Rutgers. I think he's still flying back right now. Is that right, Honky? That's correct. That's why yeah. we're missing Rob tonight. Uh, well, I don't know if we're missing him, but that's why he's not on tonight. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I'm not, but uh, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Uh, but uh, I kid, the, I kid. The, the, the Raiders are actually playing the Chiefs right now. So he's probably at an airport one way or the other uh, <laughs> watching his beloved Raiders actually uh, beat the Chiefs right now. So we'll see how, how that goes as the the show goes on. Uh, Hawk, do you want to dive into uh, some of the tweets of the week? Because Rob did pr- produce a lot of great content. Absolutely. And and it really does start, you know, we kid about Rob, but the guy, he, he worked <laughs> it, man. He was all over the place. To, uh, go, He got like an extra, gosh, 200 or so followers on Twitter over the course of the weekend. Uh, nice. It was, it was great. I mean, and he was posting videos and he got photos of both touchdown catches, like right in action. It was, it was well done. But here he is uh, last night in review, courtesy of our man on the sidelines, Redcast Rob. And it was the photos of the the two catches. And then there's Mickey Joseph in the press conference. And then there's uh, uh, Will Compton. He uh, was on the sideline there too for it. So he got a a photo with him. And there was other other photos as well that we could have taken. But um, uh, yeah, he he did a really great job and he had a blast doing it. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, One of the photos he took was this post-game one. He said, I wasn't sure or not if I should post this, but to, to heck with it. The student section at Rutgers was throwing corn at us after the game. And by us, I mean anyone near the Nebraska team when they were t- when they were leaving the field. Then he tags uh, Rutgers, says, classy Rutgers, you deserve, you deserve a tag here. And there's a photo of a <laughs> little piece of corn laying on the, the turf. Now, Rob, you know, he's still fairly new to the fandom the way that we know it. So he probably didn't experience the oranges that were laying on the, the fields back. The you know, frozen 30, oranges. The frozen <laughs> oranges 35 years ago. But uh, uh, there was some video of, of, you know, Nebraska players that were, you know, talking with the, with the uh, fans a little bit. And I think Rob wanted to show that there were things coming from incoming from the fan base too, that was uh, being thrown at the fans. And so he, he wanted to make sure that that uh, was documented, but. Yeah, Good times. yeah. Boomer, uh, was that like a half a cob of corn, right? I mean, they couldn't even get full full corn cobs? I mean, come on. Yeah, I was questioning where they sourced that from. Did they, like, go to KFC beforehand and get, like, an extra value meal? Or <laughs> Long John Silver still sell corn? And did they I, eat it? It looks like it's kind of partially eaten. Well, you know. get hungry in those kind of games, Dave. I mean, <laughs> you see what refreshments cost. What were they charging, like, $14 for a beer? I mean, geez, you got to pinch your penny somehow there when you're, when you're at Rutgers, so... That's I right. See what choice they had. So, yeah, right. I mean, you got the KFC value meal, and you get the corn cob on the side, and you're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna throw this thing." All right. <laughs> um, well, um, well, I mean, you know, uh, we are. Oh, go ahead, Ankh. That's great. I was just gonna head to um, the fact that um, a lot of people are celebrating that we are in first place in the West right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Husk guys here. I mean, you, you can always count on them for some good content. 
And uh, this is this new, I don't know, every week there's a new Twitter thing and whatever there's the Pope holding up something, you know, and then there's, you know, whatever the, the thing he's I holding up. The Eucharist. The top. <laughs> yeah. The, so the Eucharist in the top left here is the big 10 West uh, standings. And sure enough, as coach Joseph said at the beginning, we are in fake first place, <laughs> but we are, we are in first place right now. We're tied with, with Purdue. Uh, and who else would be, who else is in Illinois, Illinois as well. So Those three would be all two and one right now. Yep. All two and one. So this is a huge battle coming up this weekend uh, in West Lafayette. Uh, and then uh, this was fun during the game itself. Big game boomer was having just a, a heyday with Nebraska on Friday night, just how terrible we were. And, and here he goes. I've never seen a blue blood steep as low as Nebraska. They can't score against mighty wreckers. I don't know if they'll ever be relevant again. And so, you know, I like to take the, they can't score against someone. And the next day I went, hmm, you've never 49 to two, because as we know, a big game boomer is a big Oklahoma fan. And uh, Redcast Abby, she uh, sent out this, and this was trolling at its finest. And I got to give her a ton of credit here. Uh, using one of Big Game Boomer's own polls, uh, she said teams that scored more points than Oklahoma in week six, and, well, it's everyone. <laughs> so uh, well done, Abby. Uh, we love you, Big Game Boomer. You, you've been, you were very kind to us. You called us uh, the best uh, Husker follow on Twitter, so we appreciate that. But we had to give you a little bit of ribbon back because you, you've given it to the, to the Husker Nation quite a bit here. So uh, Oklahoma got, got shut out, but I'm sure the Sooners will get back. Yeah, you know, Boomer – our boomer, not, not that boomer. Um, you always got to be careful on Twitter on saying stuff because it can bite you back really quick. Right. You know, I mean, like I'm sure he never thought in his wildest dreams that Oklahoma would lose 49 to zip the next day. Right. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a a medium that can amplify mistakes or just casual faux pas and things like that. And just be beaten mercilessly with it. You know, if if it goes awry and, you know, hits the right fan base. So yeah. Watch yourselves on Twitter, folks. It's, it's fun. And using uh, producer skips uh, PSA that he created suit S O O T stay off of Twitter. You know, I've gotten very good at when we do lose. So, you know, we'll inevitably lose here at some point. And then, you know, as big game boomers, you're going to get back at us. I don't know. I'm not going to be on Twitter for the next 48 hours after our next loss. But I'm just <laughs> off it. And by the way, the other thing is you can't hurt us. <laughs> Husker fans have been beaten down so many ways for so many years now. you cannot hurt us with conventional weapons or anything. We, we have, we've seen it all. We've experienced every loss. So, um, but it is fun when someone who hasn't in Oklahoma to their credit, they haven't experienced losses like that in a long time. So when they do have one, yeah, we're going to let them hear about it. Yeah, honestly, another way you could have trolled them was to say the last time they got into that bad was by Nebraska back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, was... I think their last two losses to us while in, you know, um, probably in that 90, 96, 96 97. 97. I was at the game in Norman in 96 when we put up 70, more than 70 points on them. 73, 21, if I remember right. And then I think their worst loss ever was uh, the 250th win for Coach Osborne. And it was 69 to seven. Does that sound right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's our worst yeah. all time program mm-hmm. defeat ever. Yeah. Yeah. So we got that going for us, which is nice. <laughs> which is nice. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. Scarlet Colored Glasses is where we talk about all things Husker football, kind of program wide, big picture view of where Nebraska's at. And we're three and three. 
we're not the complete laughing stock of, of college football right now uh, with two wins. Uh, but we um, turn to the second half of the season, and uh, there's a lot of work to be done to um, get to a, a bowl or, if we want to dream big, win uh, the West, right? Here is uh, Swobe's awesome graphic here. What's our record for the next six games? And here are the next six helmets we'll be facing, starting with uh, the uh, Purdue Boilermakers there next Saturday night. Then uh, a bye week, I believe, right? And then Illinois. Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Um, that's, you know, uh, different than what we kind of expected going into the season right now, right, Boomer? I mean, you think about uh, that that list and um, the back half, the, the kind of the, the Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa was looked pretty daunting. Right now, Iowa and Wisconsin seem like they have some chinks in their armor. Wisconsin did bounce back nicely versus a – Completely inept Northwestern team. I don't know how we lost to that team at this point. I just don't understand it. But Jim Jim Leonard is already building his resume to be the head coach of Wisconsin. And uh, Iowa uh, did lose to Illinois. And, and Brett goes 2-0 versus kind of his, um, you know, his the closest programs to his heart. And, uh, you know, Michigan looked a little bit uh, vulnerable this week as well until pulling away. And, uh, you know, Minnesota and Illinois – and Purdue actually looked like maybe the the toughest um, of of the West out there. So, what are your things about the next six games? Boy, it's so hard to accurately predict anything anymore with this season. Uh, you know, you can go the if Rob were here, you can go the full Kool Aid on drinking optimist. Think, hey, we can win all these things, and then you know, you get that in your head after a couple of a couple of wins, and then you know, the realist person, well, let's pump the brakes a little. You know, yeah, it was Indiana and Rutgers two wins we needed to have, but we didn't look great in those wins. So it's, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I, I want to see how this team plays against these next two opponents. I think will tell us, I mean, obviously out of six games, two opponents are going to tell you a lot of those, but <laughs> these two, I mean, no offense to Rutgers, but they just fired their offensive coordinator. They're one of the few teams that made it, you know, Iowa's offense look good so far this year at, yeah. they, they were bad. I mean, there's no two bones about it. They, they were not good on offense. I think I played a few series of quarterback because they can't figure out who they wanted. You know, Did you throw one of the picks forward? Is that yeah, it? Yeah. yeah Robin threw one of those picks. I can't yeah, tell. Yeah, exactly. So, but you know, so that's, it's hard to get a great read on where we're at, you know, as a program, it looks like we've taken some steps, but, again, how well are we going to match up against the more competent teams in the conference, which this last six should be, you know, and Wisconsin, like you said, though, I don't know what to make of them because they looked awful for most of this season. This last game, heck, Mertz even looked serviceable. So I don't know. Was it just a function of that opponent Northwestern being complete garbage or have they found something to improve on? So it's really hard, but I think these next two games will tell you just how the season is going to end. I mean, if you go yeah, out and get walloped right. by Purdue and Illinois, then, well, it's going to be tough sledding. If you can beat one or both of those teams, then you can be in any one of those games. So, yeah, yeah. Kind of where so, I'm Boomer, at, so. let's, let's run with that idea. And, Honky, um, I want you to jump in here next. Um, so, we've got those six games left, and we are 2-1 and one in first place. I keep on saying it as often as I, I can, because when else are we going to get to say <laughs> we're in first place? I don't know. Maybe We've the rest never of the been year. able to say it, Dave. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No wonder I want to say it all the time. It just sounds so nice. We're two and one first place in the West. No big deal. Um, but uh, how do we stay in first place? Right. I mean, uh, um, I don't know how the math shakes out here, Boomer, but um, realistically, let's say 
um, if we're just being pragmatic, that we're going to lose to Michigan, um, right? So another uh, non-division uh, loss. Um, but that's that's you know one of those things where if you keep on winning the the West games, um, you could potentially be in line to be in that first place conversation because you start winning a lot of tiebreakers, right? Do, do you think that we need to go? And then we're just being pie in the sky here. Do you need to go seven and two to win the West? Probably not. Six and three, though, maybe. But if you need to be six and three, you probably need to be winning a lot of those tiebreakers. Which team would you most want to lose to, actually? Or can you get to five and four and have some crazy tiebreakers that get you in and, and, and win the West? Well, there might huh? be. I mean, you know, who knows? Uh, to your point, we're two and zero oh in the East so far. And that's been very helpful to us. I mean, I, I was rooting for Maryland like crazy last week against Purdue. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and you know, here's Iowa sitting at one and two and struggling and they get a bye week and they have to go to Columbus in two weeks. So, you know, it's, it's worked out in our favor to play the, the East that we've played up to this point, Indiana and Rutgers. That helped us get a little bit of momentum going, but I think it's interesting when we looked at the schedule before the season started, there was a couple of narratives going on. Number one was, uh, we've got to have success in October. I mean, darn near, you know, you got to go four. No, you got to get through those four teams because it what a gauntlet at the end. And as of right now, and it's very early, but Nebraska, Illinois, Purdue are all on top of the West. You know, October almost looks on paper right now to be tougher than uh, November minus the Michigan game. I think everything here, we have to take Michigan out of those six, put them in kind of compartmentalize them into their own different category. They are a different beast than the other five. If I'm thinking realistically and pragmatically and all that, I, I see five games that I think we can win. Any one of those five minus the let's keep Michigan away. Those other five, we can win them all. We can lose them all. You know, that that's yep. where I kind of see it. And I see this game this weekend is huge. I mean, it is a, it, it's big for momentum. Uh, we are clearly an underdog, but who cares? I mean, what, we're a double digit underdog. Cool. We were a double digit favorite for the first three games and we lost two of them. So I don't care about that <laughs> right now. Um, keep getting better. Keep playing better. And uh, keep stacking wins. Purdue, this would be a huge victory. You get this win. And then you get a bye week to heal up for Illinois coming to town. And, uh, man, this could be a, a really memorable October. And all we said coming into the season for Frost, now as it turns out, he's not here to enjoy this. But for Frost, we were like, what was a non-negotiable is we had to be competing for the for the West heading into November. After that Oklahoma game, we thought there was no chance in hell that was ever going to happen. All of a sudden right now, there feels like there's a, a realistic chance that we could be heading into November competing for the West. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all starts this week though, right, Boomer? I mean, like to hockey's point, we're a 13, I was, you know, earlier today, 14 point underdog. Uh, we haven't won one of those games in, um, 20 some years, I think, or some crazy stat like that. I can't remember when the, it was like a bowl game back in the early 2000s, maybe against Michigan, where we were a double digit yep. dog and actually won. Um, and I'd imagine, I'm mean, just looking at these helmets, how many of these games are we the underdog in? Yeah, boy. Well, well I'd say probably at least four, if not five, maybe. I, I would just, yeah, if you were putting them right now. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's the yeah. Thing. Probably, well, definitely Purdue, Minnesota, Michigan, maybe even Illinois, depending on how Illinois looks this week. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's you know, exactly Wisconsin right. Iowa are going to be coin tosses, but you know, Iowa, 
this is just for spread purposes. I yeah, the, those would be my guesses there. Just I don't think we'd be favorites in, in most of those, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, the sports books in Vegas, change, you know, yeah, the, the sports books in Vegas use something similar to a, a power index to to right. make their their spreads and they, you know, tweak as necessary. But the ESPN football power index, uh, how you put this together, um, is it from a tweet? Um, currently projected to land at four and eight and only has about a nine percent chance uh, to get to six wins because You're saying there's a chance uh, we're, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we're likely an underdog on uh, most of these next six games. Now, I would say that you know, there's two or three of them that close to pick them. Right. You know, I could see that where if Minnesota and Iowa maybe struggle down the stretch, same thing, Wisconsin, um, any of the home games, I think, in particular. So that would be Wisconsin, for example. Uh, Minnesota, is that right, Honk? Yeah. And Illinois. Home game. yeah. And Illinois, those three at you know, the home games probably are where you, you could potentially pull yeah. off some ups. It's just from a statistical standpoint where we would be yeah. slated. Yeah, and I think an, is, another thing you brought up about, about why like Purdue this week is so critical, just based on, you know, how can you get to, you know, win the West, you know, regardless of how, you know, game shakeout is, they're pretty well done with their crossovers. The only crossover East team they have left is Indiana at the end of the year. So they lost to Penn State early, that's and right. that's their conference loss, and they could have won that, and then they yeah. just got away with Maryland. They don't have anybody tough remaining on their schedule outside of the West, so... You know, like Wisconsin, I think, still plays Maryland. You know, Minnesota has Penn State, I think, coming up in a couple of weeks. So there's still chances for some of the other teams to, to get knocked off, you know, and, and lose some big games where, you know, we still have Michigan and Purdue doesn't. So, Well, this is where I'm, I'm no good on the on the betcast is that um, I, I I hate it's looking ahead. Stats, six we're not good either, Honky. So. Well, <laughs> I know, but <laughs> I, I hate looking ahead six weeks because it's such a, a moving target. I mean, the – the FPI says something this week, but it'll say something completely different next week. Or they they have you at seven and a half wins coming in the season. Now they have us at four and eight. But you beat you take it one game at a time. And what I want to see is I want to see constant improvement. We're going to talk about this when we get to throwing the bones and and scoring explosion. What's more important to me is to see constant improvement from week to week right now, which is what we're starting to see, especially on the defensive side. This week you go out and we beat. This is a one one week season right now. You got to beat Purdue. You beat Purdue and we come back and we, we revisit that same graphic and we even revisit that FPI and it totally changes right now. Sure. Yeah. All we have to do is go to West Lafayette and beat Purdue. Right. I mean, you know, you know easier said than no done, but that's, but that's what we have, you know, what we'll talk about in the offense and defensive breakdown are the things that I think that we need to do to be able to beat Purdue. And I think we're more than capable of doing that. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm ecstatic to be 100% honest with you. I'm ecstatic with where we're at right now considering where we were four weeks ago uh the the difference in play in speed of play in and just the competency out there i mean we we look like we know what we're doing and i don't want to hear about who the opponent was because we played really bad against some bad opponents already earlier this year and uh yes that is true there's been a there's been a marked difference in level of play by us and now it's it's actually it, i'm really looking forward to purdue because it's going to be a huge challenge and I think we're starting to play well enough to where, you know, it's time to go and take on a team like the Boilermakers and, and uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. What, what was the, the, the Husker hex where the uh, Northwestern Oklahoma and Georgia Southern are combined one and 11 after playing us. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, that's quite the stat there. There's no doubt. Yeah, Georgia Southern is the only one to have a win since uh, beating us. <laughs> 
that is um that is some rich stuff right there uh all right guys anything else uh before we uh, tackle uh, head coaching search all right let's let's talk about future head coaches at the university of nebraska we're gonna have one um for next year we don't know who that one will be but we have been having some fun with the um uh the coaching draft um boomer i think you had this graphic up last week and um somehow i'm, I'm missing a couple I, i'm pretty sure if we roll back the tape blake anderson is one of those that i'm missing and, and maybe gary patterson i can't remember yeah that takes um, a Dave. we're not doing that yeah maybe our listeners can go back and, and see if i picked anyone else i think there was a confusion with the snaking draft at some point and and you know but um Regardless, um, I'll point out a name that is on my list um, who became available today. And uh, Matt Rule uh, fired from the Carolina Panthers. Apparently, um, NFL teams have even more money than uh, Big Ten teams because uh, Matt Rule has been fired. He still has $40 million left to be paid um, by Carolina. So um, that's um, a lot of money. Um, And so he doesn't need to work. Uh, but he is available right away, right, Boomer? Uh, and Matt Rule's, you know, been rumored as a potential candidate for uh, from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, his name has come up, and you know, he did have success at the college level, which is different than you know some head coaches that you see that names get bannered about from the NFL, bring them in. But that doesn't always translate very well, as Nebraska history can suggest. Just because you you know had some vague success at the NFL level doesn't necessarily mean you translate to a college coach. Uh, we should know that more than anybody. But uh, yep. yeah, it'd be interesting. I I, I don't know. Do I love the idea of Matt Rule here? I don't know. So I, that's a tough one, actually. I, he's I know a he's Penn a Penn State guy, right? Yeah, I, I think mean, so. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, Pennsylvania, right? And a few um, people have said he looks like Honky a little bit. So that yeah, that's come up. On maybe we could do a, like a, a body switch. Honky gets in there, you know, calls the plays. Yeah. That'd be great. He's okay. an offensive, offensive focused uh, coach. Even though he's, he's had great defenses and he kind of builds from the the offensive defensive lines out, which I think hockey would love um, success at temple. And then at Baylor inherited programs that were, you know, in, in weird spots, but not necessarily disasters either time. Um, you know, the Baylor one obviously was the Art Bryle situation and, um, you know, lost a lot of players and went like two and 10 his first year and then kind of built it back up. But um, obviously a, a highly regarded coach that just didn't work out in the NFL. And that happens more often than not, when you do the college and NFL transition, does he want to come back? I don't know. Honky, what, what are your thoughts on Matt Rule? I don't really know a whole lot about him, to be honest with you. Yeah, he's not on my radar. Or Besides, he looks a little bit like you. Yeah, he is my doppelganger, I guess, or hanger, or whatever they call it. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's interesting. When he took over at Baylor, it, it, it's different, but – it's akin at least to taking over what like O'Brien did at Penn state, like a really tough situation that you're walking yourself into. And, um, and you know, I don't know what the perfect coach here is. Boomer has said in the past, he thinks the guy has to have X amount of head coaching experience. I don't even, I don't want to put any limitations on anything right now. I I want the right guy. And that's the biggest cop out of just saying whoever, I mean, Trev has this list of things he wants. And if somebody, so maybe the guy doesn't have as much head coaching experience or maybe somebody doesn't have as much college experience or whatever it is, you know, that, 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 it, that doesn't seem to make him the perfect one. Well, whatever it is that makes him the right guy um, in Trev's mind, that's, that's what I'm honestly, that's what I'm looking for here. Um, so rule, you know, I, I don't know the first thing really, I don't know a whole lot about him. I, you know, I know what he did a little bit at temple, a little bit at Baylor, 
Um, but this is going to be a whole different situation in those places too. I mean, Nebraska, I think that one of the most important things is whoever's going to be the next guy. I really do think it's crucial that there's a couple of guys that are on staff right now, stay on staff to next year. And I think that's going to be important for whoever the next coach is. And assuming that it's not going to be Joseph, but uh, if it's not Joseph, then next year we have a couple guys on staff that, we really need to be able to have some continuity with what this team is doing right now. Um, I go back to, you know, Pliny's Pliny getting hired here and them keeping Watson, keeping Gilmore, even for a couple of years that helped with the transition when he had a lot of things to fix defensively and all that. It helped a lot to have a transition like that. And um, you know, you know, my thoughts towards, uh, towards Bush and towards uh, Mickey and what Mickey's doing with recruiting, what Bush does period recruiting defense, special teams, wherever you want to put them just outstanding coaches. I think there, there are guys that are on the staff that are going to be able to assist whoever ends up getting hired. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not uncommon that um, a, a couple, um, a handful of coaches, um, you know, from a, a former coaching staff transitions to a new coaching staff just for mm-hmm. those purposes exactly, especially from a recruiting standpoint. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean they may may not be there forever. Uh, this instance, instance, you may have, have somebody like Mickey and, and Bill Bush, who are obviously have Nebraska ties and may want to actually stay as long as uh, they work well with uh, a new coaching staff. Hard to say, right? Really hard to say, but uh, it's definitely not unprecedented and uh, could make a lot of sense. No doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, and a, I think, that's you know, from well, it's something that's happened a couple of our last coaching changeovers have yeah. been full house, you know, switches when Riley took over yeah. and when Frost no, took over. I mean, never understood absolutely that. no continuity. And no matter what you thought, about the prior staff, there's still good coaches that, you know, there's still one or two guys, you know, what if yeah. Trent Bray would have stuck around on defense or, you know, there's, there's a whole list sure. of, of things like that, that we have to learn from our prior mistakes and, um, and moving forward. I mean, and there's, that's one of the reasons why these next six games are big too, to me is that there's still some good things going on right now. And, and we don't want to get to the end of the year and then just, you know, wipe it all away because we hire XYZ coach and yep, let's start that's right. from scratch. It feels like there is building some some momentum there in the continuity, you know. But um, mm-hmm. so let's uh, let's have let's have one one round of the uh, the draft here. Everybody look at their boards really quick. Honky, you can just say any name you want because I know you don't play, <laughs> don't play the game. Um, <laughs> but we have to get the name right. That is the key. You're trying to get the name right. Boomer, why don't you start off first? Um, oh God, and- oh, God, what's even left out there? I'm trying to make this quick and painless. Uh, let's go. It ain't gonna happen. Let's go, Mike Gundy. I was gonna take Mike Gundy. Yeah, you took my pick, Boomer. Well, I can trade for uh, this and another <laughs> pick to be named later. So I do. I, I mean, I mean, Mike Gundy has Oklahoma State going again. I didn't expect it. Um, doesn't seem like I have a great team, but they are undefeated and um, looking pretty, pretty good out there. Um, let's see. I mean, let's. Double check who else we got here. Um, you know what? I I will go and I'll have fun here and take number seven off the established Power Five coaching list, Brett Bielema. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. <laughs> well, you, you know, I mean, maybe we have more money than Illinois. No, we probably have the same amount of money, but um, you never know. Well, he's probably got a lot of red stuff still in his closet, so you could probably, you know, that, that transition would be easy. So yeah, it's true. 
Honestly, you know, Honky, if you want Brett Bielema, I would switch with you. I've got another name on the list now that I, I just saw that I'd want to throw out just for discussion purposes. So, Well, I, I mean, I have a name, but there's no way in hell he's getting picked. And I'm not even That's saying right. I want him, but, <laughs> but. Go for it. Well, I like Craig Bull just for the, oh, uh, the altitude. Yeah. Um, you know, there the we Big go, Ten. Craig Bull. He would, he would know how to prepare for that. I have his name up but... here somewhere, I think. There yeah, he is. He's on the list, yeah. <laughs> Craig Bull. All right, All right I'll wanted... for uh, Rob. What's that? Ooh, I'll auto draft for him. I All want right. to pick the least pick. likely candidate. Um, so let's see here. Um, let's see who he has already. Rob, yeah, it's a horrible list of. He's got John go. Gruden. That's good. Yeah, yeah, leave it to leave it to Rob. Let's go with. Yeah, um, Chubb might be available before long. So. Yeah, that's the name I actually was gonna throw out. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw him Will Muschamp because I don't like. Oops, sorry, I don't like Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, give, yeah, give me uh, give me David Shaw just to uh, because Craig Bull's not gonna get it. So, and we actually want to try. If I understand the the premise of this day, we actually want to try to have the name of the guy somewhere on that our is list. Correct. So that, so that we can. That we said it. We're bound to hit it eventually. So yeah. All right. So hockey's taking David Shaw, and. Um, and uh, Rob's taking Will Muschamp. Yep, we got it done. All right, I, you all know, done. the David Shaw thing is intriguing. I was listening to some of the local radio shows, and they're talking about diversity and coaching and, and all this type of stuff. And they're like, you know, I mean, it's it's difficult because this is a current pool of candidates. If you're trying to have someone with experience, there's not a lot of African-American coaches in the Power Five that seem like they would fit the the profile. David Shaw is one of those. And, and I would, you know, four years ago, anybody would have jumped at David Shaw. Um, he struggled though. Now it's interesting. I think you look at a Stanford and you look at Northwestern, Georgia tech has already fired their coach. Some of these schools that have the higher academic standards, um, will may continue to struggle post, um, in the, in the, in the NIL era, because it's harder to get transfers from the portal into schools from an academic standpoint. Right. It's just and they then but they still lose them. Right. I mean, like Northwestern lost a starting safety to Notre Dame last year because yeah. he, he, you know, good enough to go to Notre Dame and he wanted to do that. But it's harder to bring someone in to replace them of equal you know, talent or value. Right. Because it's just not that easy to find your pool of candidates is that much smaller. David Shaw is a Stanford man through and through. Right. Dream job for him. Let's get paid well out there for West Coast uh, pricing, I would imagine. Um, but maybe he he thinks that he just he's tapped out there. He can't go any further. And his record shows that. I, mean, I don't mm-hmm. think it would be a splash higher at this point for the from the fan base, because, I mean, he's, you know, has the same record as Scott Frost the last four years, practically. But did he boy, have any he sure con- looks like. Go ahead. Did he have any connection to Scott Frost being Stanford guys? Were they there at the same time? I don't think so. Did? I don't okay. think so. But Boomer, I don't know if you can do any quick research on that. Um, that's a good but point. He I never really was, thought about he that. He was very successful, though, as, to your point, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, five, 10 years ago. Multiple I mean, Rose Bowls, mm-hmm. top five finishes, obviously the Heisman Trophy candidacy of, of Christian McCaffrey. Um, um, yeah, you know, and, and you're talking about building, um, you know, building off of what Harbaugh had there with the big offensive lines and the run game. I mean, you know, really sound. Yeah. On coaching seems like always go back to Stanford what? from ninety one to ninety four. So, oh, you would have been there when uh, uh, Frost was there in ninety three, ninety four. 
Yeah, yeah, you know? that's funny. It would have <laughs> never thought doubled, about that. It would have doubled up a little bit. I just think yeah. we keep it's, it's important to keep framing this this discussion around what we do know. Trev talked about the day that he fired for us, and it was you yeah. know we want guys that are we want guys that are going to be coaching toughness here, and we're going to win in the Dream. trenches and the grinder. We're going to grind. I want a guy that's yeah. going to be there, and you know so. All of these guys that we talk about, we have to keep applying kind of those what we do know Trev is looking for towards that that person, at least to the best of our knowledge. Again, like I said, with a guy like Rule, I don't know what Rule is from a, you know, from yeah. a grinding standpoint or any of that stuff. But yeah, but, you know, we'll we'll no doubt find out more, I'm sure, and learn more about these guys here in the coming weeks as uh, as it gets a little clearer. Is there anyone you think that's fallen off the list? Like I was talking with a guy today saying Campbell's done. You know, Campbell's not on the list now because of their losses. I mean, do you? You buy so, that? No, I mean that was the exact same conversation with David Shaw. You could argue Shaw shouldn't be on this list because if he's announced as the head coach, you know, on November 29th or whatever, and he went four and eight this year, and he went four and eight last year, and went two and nine, whatever, they're going to be like, "Are you kidding me? You just hired um, some guy who you know has four straight losing seasons." Doesn't mm-hmm. say anything about what he did the six years previous to that. Matt Campbell's kind of the same boat. He might go seven and five this year. Um, but, you know, what he's accomplished at Iowa State, a place that before he got there hadn't done anything what compared to what he did, um, is you have to look at the entire resume, right? Hmm. So would it, would it not land well with some portion of the fan base? Yeah. Does that mean he's the wrong guy? That's probably too much of a recency bias on making your decision. I guess to me, and Boomer, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but because you're in the insurance industry, but to me, this is all an exercise in like uh, like risk mitigation or risk management, right? You're trying to actually through all this criteria that Honky is you know saying that Trev is using essentially is all you're trying to do is take the the least risky choice here that you have available, right? Um, you, every candidate we can find has a fault of some sort, right? We just found you know Matt Rule hasn't beat a top twenty five team, right? Dave Aranda's only been there for three years and he inherited a good situation at Baylor. Um, Lance Leipold, um, you know, won mostly at, at the division three level and doesn't have that much power five experience. And it's the big 12 and Will's offense work here. You can find a fault in everything. Um, but when you look at the criteria, you're simply trying to find coaches that have the least likelihood of failure mm-hmm. um, or the most likelihood mm-hmm. of success. Right. And it's all you're trying to do. It's literally an actuary table, I guess, in my mind. I think of the um, the right guy statement that Trev is looking for. The, whoever the right guy is, and and it's so it's not about trying to find an offensive guy, defensive guy, a power five guy, group of five, pro guy, college guy. We, we've done it all, right? Nebraska guy, not Nebraska. You know, none of that matters. We need the right guy. And I was I was trying to think with like with Joseph. Joseph doesn't have the coaching history, certainly that Boomers stated that that That's would match what Boomers looking for, right? Or but. At the same token, we've talked about these last six games. What would it take to get Joseph to almost be a non-negotiable, like you have to hire him? I don't think it would be three and three. It wouldn't be just getting to a bowl game, although that would be amazing. That would be an amazing feat to get us to a bowl game. But I don't see being six and six anything where we're like, okay, it's definitely Joseph. All right, he goes four and two. So now we're seven and five. You know, hey, we're, you know, you're getting closer there. Probably not quite enough yet. He goes, you know, he goes five and one and we finished the season eight and four and we've beaten everyone except for Michigan. You know, it's a close loss to Michigan. We're eight and four. 
And what what is the the cutoff point where we're like, whoa, what this guy did was pretty amazing. Um, on top of that, it, you do have the Nebraska ties, which are I think you can factor in at some point with enough wins. You have the Trev ties with them. Trev was I go back to the uh, big red wrap up before the season started. Uh, Trev is getting interviewed by Michael Severe in North Stadium, and he's asked a question about Frost. Trev does, and Trev says everything right. He does, you know, he he plays it right and says the right things about you know Scott all off season. Then he was asked a question about Mickey, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Mickey, you know, like my buddy, I, I played with him." You know, like there was a different his his face lit up talking about Mickey compared to sure. to, to Frost. Just just you know, background knowing him and everything. Um, you mentioned David Shaw with the diversity thing, obviously Joseph. There's a lot of things. At what point does enough positive things happen in this season where we seriously look at at Mickey as as a long-term candidate? That's a good question. Some of that, I think, does come down to, you know, what conversations has he had with Alberts? Is this something Joseph wants? Does he want to be a head coach? I mean, it's not everyone wants to be. I mean, we've heard we've heard yeah. things both sides on that. Haven't yeah, we? especially I mean, you know, if your love is recruiting and kind of that real hands-on with players, head coaches can't really be that because they have all these other roles they have to do. And, you know, as we heard with Frost, you've got to be that CEO of an organization. You can't be you know on the road recruiting all the time. You you can't be focusing on you know just the wide receivers or just this. You've got so much more on your plate that. Not every coach wants to be a head coach. I mean, it's certainly possible Mickey may have just taken this job on knowing here's I need to write this and I'm a person who can do it, but I don't want to do this long term. I'm not saying he does or doesn't, but it's certainly a possibility. That's the first thing you have to consider. Does he want it? You know, maybe he does. And then if he does, and we do have to start trying to consider what what is the cutoff for would we call this success or not? Is it is it a win total or is it just looking a certain way? I mean, I don't want to go to the whole close losses thing again. We've already had enough of that but that is a good question I, I don't know like you said i don't know if six and six would be enough you know to to get there especially you know with what we've you know talked about this whole season just being a goofy with the teams we've played and whatnot although he was handed a pretty deep hole to get out of you know when it started but, yeah. Uh, yeah i mean that is a possibility if you are in that seven and five or eight and four i mean if you're alberts does your hand get called you don't you not have a choice and you have to hire him i, I don't know so that's something else you have to look yeah. at well, so, I, mean, I, don't think, I wouldn't think of it as high have to at that either because if, if we were eight and four i think fans would be well that's I, what i mean there, there could be a lot well, of fan pressure to do that maybe maybe trev didn't you know does that wasn't his plan but do you kind of get well don't have a choice at that point you know i, I don't know i would say i would say that going eight and four obviously enters Mickey into very legitimate conversation because now, now he's done something. Let's say if that somehow wins you the West, he's just won a division title. How many other coaches we're looking at has, has done that in a, in a power five league? Not too yeah. many probably. Right. So even if you're, you're playing for that on the last day of the season, that'd be quite the accomplishment. So, uh, but just the record alone, this is just like saying, well, just because um, Leipold is going to win nine games this year at Kansas. He immediately, obviously, would have a great success in Nebraska. And there's a lot of other elements there. Dave Aranda won 11 games last year. Well, that means he'll win 11 games next year at Nebraska. No, that's not how it works, yeah. right? Matt Campbell went seven and five. He's off my list. No, I mean, I think you would have to say then, okay, Mickey's now you're you've already you're proven that you can be a head coach here. But I want to know how you're going to move this program forward, right? Now it's the interview process, right? Let's and he's had a lot of time to to sell that to Trev the whole time, but you be wanting to understand mm-hmm. like, okay, you haven't been a head coach ever before. Thanks for the success this season. Now let's talk about how we're going to do this together 
over the next five years to, to establish the culture and the long-term winning that we want to see at Nebraska, right? So what are you going to do from a recruiting perspective? What are you going to do from player development? How are you, how are you going to fill out the rest of your coaching staff? All these type of things that you're going to expect a head coach to know how to do. What are you going to change with, with your practice schedule? How are you going to handle, you know, all that type of stuff. Right. And then, and then, and then Trev will be like, all right, and then I'm just going to compare Mickey to my other candidates who I'm going to interview and understand how they would go about, you know, building long-term success in Nebraska, right? Just going eight and four, um, it won't be enough. It, it shouldn't be just that thing. If this is a deeply analytical analysis, mm-hmm. is that repetitive, Boomer? <laughs> but of, of who you think is going to have the most likelihood of success at the head coaching position in Nebraska, you have to take it all that into, into consideration. It's not just one thing. Right. Well, and, and to your point there, Dave, that's once again to go back to what Trev said on the day when he fired uh, Frost was that we're going to create a process here. We're going to create a process and we're going to write down our values. And I mean, he's he's going to use these two months to clearly identify what he wants, because to your point, it isn't it isn't just as simple as eight and four. You're in nine and three at Kansas. You're in seven and five at yeah. Iowa State. You're out. It, it's not as simple as that. He is he is writing down. In, at least in my in my mind, he's writing down what he wants in a coach, and and and, it, and it's clearly defined. And then you know he'll go and look through five, ten coaches, whoever I don't care, fifteen, twenty coaches, and match them up as who who aligns to what what I'm looking for here. And and yeah. it might be someone that the, the the general population wants, and he's sitting there saying that, that that's not what I'm looking for. You know, so yeah. that that goes yeah. back to that right guy thing, and I can't define what that is. But it's just the right guy. Bob Stoops at Oklahoma took over a dumpster fire, right, and had no coaching experience. But he was the right guy at one moment. And, um, it, you know, popular hire, too, don't get me wrong. But still, it's just the right guy. And sometimes the right guys, we thought Scott Frost was the right guy. And, you know, just it, it yeah. didn't work out. Yeah. So there's no guarantees no matter what. Well, one random thing maybe to kind of tie this up a, a little bit. Uh, something that I thought about today was with that right that right guy idea is, um, you know, we've said before, and it's probably pretty obvious that if you're going to become the head coach in Nebraska or any really power five program, head coaches have an ego, right? I mean, they're, they're like, I'm going to get that done. I can get that done. I know I can do this, right? You're not going to take this job without having um, an ego to say that I'm, I'm the guy to get it done. Um, but if you think about, about T.O., right, what was – so amazing about him is that he had this amazing track record, but he was so, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, unassuming, right? Like it was, was never about him, right? It was about the players and the process and, and building up um, his players to be, um, you know, young men and, and, you know, pillars of society and all this type of stuff, right? It was a philo- philosophical approach to, to building that culture. Uh, it wasn't about him ultimately, right? You know, I mean, he was actually not about himself. So he he could he believed he could obviously coach at Nebraska. He did it for 25 years, but it wasn't about like him, right? So I, I would be interesting from a Trev Albert standpoint, and you think of that criteria, uh, and Mickey Joseph kind of fits that that mold of like, hey, this is not about me. It's about the N on the helmet, right? You know, you need to find a coach that gets that, um, believes in themselves, but also believes in the bigger um, mission of of the athletic department and the university right well said well said 
Nebraska Public Media's Big Red Wrap-Up breaks down each Nebraska game with highlights, expert analysis, behind-the-scenes stories, and recruiting news from Husker football insiders. Every Tuesday night, join Michael Severe for Big Red Wrap-Up Live at 7 on the network, World TV Channel, and Facebook, and again at 10 on Nebraska Public Media. Or catch Big Red Wrap-Up Live at nebraskapublicmedia.org slash bigred and on the Nebraska Public Media app. Go Big Red! It's time to throw the bones. All right, we are throwing the bones where we talk all things Husker defense. We got the nice uh, image there of Bill Bush from Swobes looking sharp there. Um, and uh, obviously, a lot of improvement, right, Honk? I mean, it's just been an amazing transformation, and uh, the defense has uh, been simplified. Um, still not perfect, right? Some mm-hmm. missed tackles this week. Um, but, um, again, another second half shutout. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, to me, what I'm looking for right now, and this is something we've said for four years on the, on the Redcast until we stopped saying it, but I want to start bringing it back again. I want to see progress because it actually matters right now to me. I want to see progress from week to week. Um, we've been practicing at a different pace for four weeks now under Joseph. Uh, more physicality with the lines, more tackling with the defense. And I want to see that improvement be shown on the field. It's far from perfect. And I will be the first one to admit that we benefit the last two weeks by playing Indiana and Rutgers versus if we would have had Michigan and Ohio State. No doubt, no doubt we benefited by by having those teams then. But that said, that doesn't mean that what this defense is doing doesn't go without merit. And I, I posted this to Twitter, and it was, how much different are the Blackshirts playing under Coach Bush? against Rutgers in Indiana, and you gave up a total of 638 yards combined. That's four fewer than what they gave up to Georgia Southern. And uh, we gave up uh, less points as well combined to those two. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but we gave up less points to two FBS, you know, Big Ten teams than we gave to Georgia Southern, who isn't a great team either. Um, it's not about <laughs> who the opponent was. Uh, go back yeah. to the the North Dakota game. Great, great opponent, right? You know, FCS team. And Casey throws a, a, a pick on our side of the field, deep in our side of the field, gets returned to the you know 10 yard line and they turn around and they score a touchdown right away on us. Untouched. Guy goes right in the right into the end zone. That's North Dakota. Think of this game last week. They block a punt deep in our side of the field. And Blaze Gunnerson makes a great effort play to make the tackle. How important is that tackle? Because that, that should have been a touchdown. That's a punt block running in for a touchdown. Now we're down 17 nothing. Or whatever it would have been, 14 nothing at the time, whatever it would have been. Point is then our defense comes onto the field against Rutgers, a power five offense, not an FCS offense. Well, and they of. hold them to a field goal. <laughs> they hold them to a field goal. I mean, that's improvement. I don't care who the opponents are because we've already played bad opponents and not done these things. Now we're doing them. So the improvement is, is, is more than apparent there. The tackling is definitely better. We've missed some tackles, but we've missed a lot less than what we were missing beforehand. And, Last but not least, you mentioned the word simplifying, Dave, and I think simplifying is key. We're going to talk about this when we get to the offensive side. But the other thing with simplifying is how about just play your best players? How about just get your guys out there? I mentioned last week against Indiana, the last play of the game, or one of the last plays, a third and long, and their their guy had to throw the ball out of, out of bounds because he got chased out of the backfield. And the guys that we had rushing him were Nelson, Tanner, and Mathis. We couldn't see those those three guys couldn't make it on the field at the same time the first four games for some yeah. odd reason. Or if they did, they were dropping back into coverage and all that. Well, watch the last interception of this game. 
Hertzog's or Hertzog's interception. Who's in the backfield? Tanner, Nelson, Mathis. You know, at the very least, and I, Bush, you don't have to be a genius of a defensive coordinator. Bush is just looking at <laughs> these guys going, who's my best rushers? Who's my be- Who are my best players? I'm going to get the best guys out there, and then I'm going to put them in the right spot. I'm not going to have them drop back and go into coverage. Let's let's get to the quarterback. That's what you're here for. So, Hunky, I mean, talk about that a li- little bit, because, I mean, Chins had made such progress over the first four years. Um, and, and last year he benefited from uh, a lot of defensive players with a lot of experience. Um, is it just simply if if the players we had last year were doing this, would they be even that much better? Or is it just simply that Bush kind of evaluated the situation and, and to your point, just simply getting the best players on the on the field just kind of uh, – it's, it's a different – defensive approach not not saying like mm-hmm. chins is, was clueless on what he was doing he just was trying to do the same thing he was doing the year before but he didn't have the same personnel I mean, i'm just trying to figure out why right? the you know? biggest issue i had in the first three games when i was at the the game at the, the you know you guys are up at the press box for the georgia southern one when i was watching that defense they just looked lost uh there's video on the sideline that kevin suits the 10 11 took of that game mm-hmm. of, of ty robinson and he is Every, every, yeah, every, the swear jar would have been full, but it wasn't a lack of effort. I mean, he, he genuinely, it just looked like these guys were confused. And if I, I guess if I had any kind of indictment on, on Chenander is that if you were, we arguably have more talent on defense this year than we did a year ago. That's what Michael Severe told us over the off season. There's other guys that we've talked to that said that, I mean, I've got my own eyes. I can see that we have some talented players. We've got some good guys out of the portal but they were new to the system and, and this is, you're playing young guys and guys that haven't played together. And it felt like we threw the book at them. Like let's, here's the playbook that we had with Ben Stilley and, and Doman and these safeties that have had a yeah. hundred games. Yeah. We're going to run the same playbook. And, but the problem is we don't have guys that have played this long. We have guys that have played this much together. And <laughs> yeah. so, so before I'm watching against Georgia Southern, I'm watching pre-snap. We, we can't line up against them let alone tackle. I mean, that's a whole different thing, right? I mean, we're not even tackling yeah. practice, but we can't even line up right. So those first three games, what I saw was a team that was lost, confused. The Oklahoma game concerned me even more because what I saw was a team that I thought they gave up. And I was concerned after Oklahoma that we might have a 2017 repeat, you know, a team that just, you, you lose sure. them. Now you have, you have NIL transfer portal guys that came in here. They've only been in Nebraska a couple months. They don't, you know, who cares? I'm ready to, you know, I'm just, season's over, right? That is what, to me, I think what Bush and Joseph took over the most was they had to get these guys right up here to, to start. Yeah. The Kerrigan to not obvious. give up. Yeah, to not yeah. give up, to to care. And now and now we need to start fundamentally changing things the way that we're practicing, uh, how we're tackling, all those things. You know, the, the X's and O's and what Bush started to do on defense is we're just going to rip it out. If we're not good at it, we're going to rip it out. If it's something that, if it's going to cause us extra time before a play to even line up, rip it out. Let's just start playing fast. And I think, again, I keep referencing offense. I've got a few ideas and suggestions I think that kind of apply towards the offense that that use that same mentality. Sometimes you just got to rip a thing out and just say, let's just do this because we're better at this. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Personnel-wise, um, you know, I mean, this, this the new defensive uh staff seems to be you know playing um a few different faces some of that's because of injuries right you know we've had 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 some injuries uh with luke reimer and and, Mm -hmm. uh, quentin newsome a lot of stuff going on there but like when when you know reimer's out um 
Ernest now is Ernest Hausman been injured or is he just um I haven't seen him the playing as much since early in the year, but but Mauga right. Clements has started getting in there. Right. Hand. That was my point. He's actually playing he really stepped up right at the right yep. time. And that's one of those things where I think the previous coaching staff really saw all the 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 talent in, in Ernest Hausman, and he's gonna be great. I think he's gonna be great here very soon. But um, it seemed like he was drinking from the fire fire hydrant there um, in the first couple of games. And um, maybe it was a little too much. And hopefully he can bounce back soon. But, you know, I think maybe having a few more experienced players there um, in this situation has helped, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, think about I mean, he's another one of those, right? You know, sure. Yeah. I mean, the last the last game we had three sacks. It took us, what, two or three games to get three sacks. I mean, you know, at yeah. the beginning of the year, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mentioned Ty Robinson. Nelson, the, yeah, I mentioned yeah. Ty Robinson and the frustration that he had on the sideline there against Georgia Southern. He looks like a different player the last two games. And there's a variety of, re- of reasons for it. Um, the defense just, the guys are playing smart. There's a sack that Ty Robinson had against uh, Indiana last week. It was that, I mean, it looked like he came untouched and, and he destroyed the quarterback. Well, that was supposed to be a little screen pass and O'Shawn actually deserves the credit. He got in kind of the way of it, got his hands up and the quarterback had nowhere to throw it. And he gets destroyed by the the guy who's not getting blocked because they're running a screen, but that's, Hey, that's yeah. smart football. It's good defense where it's physical. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah. These are, these are huge steps for this defense to take. Um, it is time now just for their own, they should have some confidence after two games now. They've they've won a close game now. That's big. That's a big confidence booster. They need to play a team like Purdue now. I, I really believe they need to. They need to take you know whatever confidence they have right now. Now go and show it. You know, prove it against that team. And and uh, you know if Purdue goes out and puts eight hundred yards on us and scores fifty points, then okay. I mean, I guess you know you're back to the drawing board, but. I, I feel like this team is starting to to believe. I think they're playing well. I think we have a, I think we have plenty of talent. Talent has never been the issue. And if talent knows what they're doing and they're playing fast, man, I think I think this team could could surprise some people in the West. Yeah, no, absolutely. It all starts starts on Saturday there. You're right. I'm Purdue. We're not, I don't know if we're gonna do a big Purdue breakdown or not, but um, a little bit different of a, of a team, right? You typically expect them to be throwing the ball over the place, and uh, Aiden O'Connell's a, a good quarterback, mm-hmm. but they are running the ball more effectively, I think, and um, defensively um, has actually been a, a pleasant surprise as well. So it, mm-hmm. it will um, be an interesting matchup. Yeah, they've had two running backs that have had some success this year, and they had a tight yep. end that, that went crazy last week against uh, Maryland. So, um, you know, in, in some regards, I, I mentioned the – during uh, Rob's little pregame walk around Rutgers, one of the things mm-hmm. I was kind of looking for us against Rutgers, what did I want to see? And it was simply that at the very least, Rutgers was going to want to be physical. I don't think Rutgers is going to be as good as really any of the other offenses that we're going to play the rest of this year. And I'm even including Iowa in that, shockingly. But yep. but um, but they were at least going to give us a litmus test of, you know, if they pushed us around and ran the ball for 250 yards on us, that was going to be a problem down the road if, if Rutgers could do that. And at least I saw a team that wanted to be physical against us. And I saw us in the trenches defensive line wise match them. And that's, a, that's a good sign right now. Everything's a baby step. I guess, you know, again, you go back one month and you're, you're watching Georgia Southern and North Dakota against us gash us for, for big plays and, and all that. So yeah. everything's a step, but um, 
but I've seen some really good things the last two weeks that the defense knows what they're doing. They're lining up fast. They're playing the right guys. Uh, if a guy gets hurt, someone's coming in and filling in the spot. The tackling's gotten, for the most part, much better. And, uh, you know, Rutgers, they 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 uh, hit a couple deep ones there on, on Hartzog, which is, I mean, it, it early, ended, yeah, up, right. ended up winning, and that's good. And yeah. he seems to – I love it. Um, Joseph said, you know, he's from Mississippi. He's a Mississippi kid. He, he'll get over it. You know, he, he doesn't have a long memory. He'll just get over it. And, yeah, by the end of the game, there's Hartzog getting a, another interception. So – uh, that's awesome. I mean, that, that's uh, someone that, you know, get the bad plays out of your mind. and But I'm sure Purdue will try to take advantage of him, too, this week. So, Yeah. Boomer, you're good at the um, the world is so dark. Uh, if Noah Vedral actually was healthy, would we have won that game? That's a good question. I mean, he looked good, you know, decent and serviceable in that first drive, especially. You know, he had some nice passes, and they were there, and – yeah, I don't know how healthy he was, and he kind of seemed to fall off a cliff. And I grab the baller, Sam. Yeah, and, and and Honky would even comment about you know how good he looked, you know, mobility wise, you know, as a quarterback early mm-hmm. on in that game. So it might have made a, a significant difference, but the game is played with people injured. So yep, that's that, right. That kind of that, is what it is. Yeah. You know, just like with Indiana, they were missing receivers, and that's what mm-hmm. it was. So, and you win the games. So that yeah. pass early on that he threw was like on a dime that one over, over hard mm-hmm. That was a great throw, but then it seemed like, I don't know if he got re-injured at all in the hand. As the it, game well, went on. The, Shiano actually explained it in his, okay. his press conference. So he had a hand injury. I think that he might've actually had some sort of surgery on it mm-hmm. and he doesn't have enough stamina. So he can, he can throw the ball normally for a while, but oh. then his hand like essentially gets weaker and he can't grip it. So he could only do it for certain amounts of time. So that's so the guy you want in a quarterback. So good job, Rutgers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, he just he couldn't hold the ball well enough to throw it later in the game, and that's why Simon was in there. Gotcha. Because there was one throw he threw across the middle, and I mean, it yeah. just had you nothing on it, and it was flipping all yeah. over the place. But uh, so that's interesting to hear from Shiano. So if the quarterback, you know, can't hold the ball, then you you fire your offensive coordinator. It makes sense. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. It because your third string. Uh, quarterback <laughs> through three picks, but um, it is. So before we go uh, over the offensive side of the ball, Boomer, there's not a lot to talk about with special teams um, because there was no field goals. And uh, I don't think the kickoffs were that exciting. A lot of punts though. Anything in particular you want to point out? No, it was a lot of punting. And none of them were terribly egregious. I, this is, uh, is this another week though, that Bichini's kind of gotten, injured a bit in a game that's a little concerning and you know and a punt block is always a something of concern too when we had three guys back there they yeah. sent four and we didn't have an answer for it so got to be ready for that because you know it's quite likely some of the team's going to give that a shot this year now that they saw it can be done yeah so well, you we know need to I punter better than we have been that is something that is mm-hmm. a concern so yeah we mm-hmm. don't need don't need punting injuries that's for sure we've seen where that's gotten us in years past and it's not good yeah, I mean, speaking of, you know, what ifs, if, if we don't have a decent special teams the last couple of weeks, we might have lost both of those games. So, But we did. They're good enough, and we got two more victories. Does your business need easy, competitive financing for heavy machinery, trucks, or other equipment? Currency is here to help. Currency specializes in finding the best financing options for equipment, trucks, and other big-ticket items. Just fill out an application, and Currency Finance does the rest. Currency's equipment financing made simple. Go to gocurrency.com for details.
Offers may vary and are arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC, DBA, currency pursuant to CFL license 60DB054873. And now, Scoring Explosion, the offensive breakdown. Let's uh, head over to Scoring Explosion, where we talk all things offense. And uh, Hockey, I know you have been uh, waiting for this all night. You've got some special... Special video uh, that we have, I believe, and um, and you also want to highlight a very odd formation from Purdue that you saw. <laughs> yeah, this is a boomer. Maybe you can help me out here. What is this? I've never seen this. That there's a, there appears to be like seven or eight guys on the offensive line. They haven't done this since like the 1890s. Yeah, I was say, it looks like I mean, something I can see in a on a drawing from a 1902. Football yeah, the, the quarterback is fascinating. Un- yeah, yeah. For the people listening on the podcast tomorrow and days after that, um, the quarterback is lined up under center, and then there looks to be like a a, a player behind him in a straight line with his hand down. I don't know. Uh, he looks full of himself. I'll call him a fullback. And then there's a guy. It, it almost looks kind of like the letter I. So I'll just call this guy an I back. But so th- I don't know what this formation would be called. But what I've been told is that uh, Nebraska can't run this anymore because we're a spread attack you know we we're a shotgun spread team so we can't get under center we can't put double tights on the field and, and run out of the eye formation but uh purdue who they are a spread offense and they throw the ball around as much as anybody they got into this at the goal line last year or last week against maryland and they scored a touchdown on it so i, I had to take a photo st- of it is this is this not a maryland eye you're in maryland you have to run the eye formation is that right no. but that's just an eye eye not a maryland maryland i would have another running back back there yeah, yes i know I'm been, i was just yeah. joking but this is this does look like something akin to the day before you even had a position called a wide receiver everyone was just an end at this point yeah, yeah very old school here that's right yeah, but so. uh very effective honky i believe they scored and that right Yes, yeah, so they scored on this play, and for uh, you know teams that struggle in short yarded situations or struggle in in uh, goal line situations, and I, how many times we, we've screamed at the top of our lungs about you know on fourth and ones, and we get in the shotgun, it's like get under center, get a first down. Well, that's what Purdue did, and uh, actually this last week we had a fourth and one where we emptied the backfield and threw an incompletion, the much yeah. to the chagrin of a of a lot of Husker nations. So. Uh, I just wanted to highlight that from, from Purdue. The other thing, and I always highlight this is the run pass ratio. And in this case here this week, um, you know, we had 37 passes to 28 rushes. There was also a sack in there. So really when you adjust that, that's 38 passes, to 27 rushes. And I mean, I'll be as blunt as I can be. And I was this way after the Northwestern game. So as far back as week one, that's not a winning formula for us. Not, not as we continue to go on, we've got to be able to commit to a run, we've got to be able to um, do more things to be able to control clock. And and uh, if we're going to throw the ball around like that, I mean, I just I think that we're going to run into a lot of pitfalls here the next six games. Um, and so, I mean, I don't, before I get into the into my uh, uh, film session here, I guess Dave, I mean, do I make too much of a deal out of that the run pass there, or is that are you on board with that? No, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Um, we just need to be more effective running the ball. And I think to your point on previous uh, shows, we need to be more creative with that because, I mean, like I, I appreciate, I think it was last week in the Indiana Indiana game, you kind of came to the defense of the offensive line and said, hey, they, you know, are doing some, some more positive things. And they struggled again this week. But I think your point still stands that, 
if you know you have a, a offensive line that's having issues both with run blocking and pass blocking, you got to be more creative on how you're scheming that. You can't just expect them to um, form a perfect pocket for Casey when he's throwing the ball or just uh, hand off the ball to your, your running back uh, with no deception whatsoever and expect that they're going to make a hole for him. So um, the coaching staff needs to help the offensive line, but um, they are still struggling. Um, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, we need to figure that out if we're going to win some of these six games. Well, here, let's help them figure it out. And we've got a little film session here. We, All have, right. three, we have three plays, and this is going to be on slow motion loop because we're going to spend a little time on each play, kind of breaking it down for the, the people on YouTube here watching this live and over the next few days, you'll have a chance to kind of see the play over and over again as, as we talk about it. Um, all these plays are going to be out of the same formation. It's the unbalanced set that we've been running, where we take one of our tackles, whether it's the left or the right, and we switch them over to the other side. So the first play that we're looking at right now is the first interception that uh, that Casey throws in the first quarter with a, a minute 20 left. And so right now the guy's catching the interception here. Casey gets destroyed in the backfield. Now, if you watch this, the left guard comes down and blocks blocks down, and then we we curl the the center around to block the defensive end on the on the left, which in and of itself is already kind of a, a tough block there. Instead of just pa- a normal pass pro, you're we're doing some kind of a stunt basically between guard and center to pass pro against the nose tackle on the defensive end. So up front already we're having a little bit more of a challenge there blocking that. Now in the backfield, we have a very lousy backfield play action. I I, I don't even know know if I'd call it a play action. So from the defensive side, we talked about the eyes. You have to use your eyes. We're not forcing the defense to have to do anything there. It's easy as easy as pie that this is going to be a pass play. So that means the front four front seven, if you're blitzing, you're coming. If you're the defensive back, you're you're going back. There's no deception up there. And Casey isn't allowed to step into this play because the defensive end gets around the, the center who curls around to make the block. He can't really step into the throw, so he underthrows it, gets intercepted. But for what it's worth, even if he would have got into the throw and got it over him, it's still probably either going to get intercepted by the safety coming over or, yeah. the, at the very least, the receiver is going to get destroyed. So yeah. Yeah. There's, not a, there's not a lot of good out of this play to begin with. And so this might be one of those ones where, you know, we talked about on the defensive side with Bush, that you, you rip out some plays, you rip out some things that, you know what, I don't see a lot of good. This might be one of those ones I kind of rip out and just say there's not a lot that I, that I see that I like out of this. Now, also, the other thing is Casey takes the big hit. And remember that because I've mentioned a lot, you know, I want to get the QB run game going. I want the, the QB's legs being involved. I get told you can't do that because we got to keep them healthy. Well, keeping them in the, the pocket isn't a way to keep them healthy right now. Okay, so here's the can ask you – yeah, go Before you leave this one, can you I, let me just? I always learn a lot from this. I hope our listeners learn a lot from Honky's X and O's too here. But so in this instance, uh, it's Trent Hickson, the center who mm-hmm. who shifts over, and you look initially like he um, is squared up and is in a good position to block number seventy one who comes in and hits Casey. It looks mm-hmm. like there might be a little um, little uh, hands to the face there by the Rutgers defender and, and Hickson kind of just olays him. He just goes right past Hickson suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I guess the, the question I have is like, why from an offensive scheme would you ask your center to, to do this? And, you know, instead of just a regular straight up mm-hmm. block, what's the advantage of sliding your center out like this in a pass bro scenario? You know, you know I'm used I, to like offensive linemen getting pulled to run the ball, but what's the point here? 
Well, and, and play number three will have an example of pulling a guy, but that's a great point. To me, it, it's very awkward. It's a, it's a lot to ask the guy to snap and make that little curl around anyways. So he's moving to the left to get to the guy, and the guy gets around him going the opposite direction, going inside him. Um, it just it, To me, it just seems like if you just snap this ball and just have the center blocking the nose tackle and you have the left guard just blocking the DN who's lined up head up on him, that would simplify yeah. things. Right. I mean, just at the very core of it, if you just do that alone, it seems to simplify it. There was a I highlighted a play a couple of games ago, um, one of the ones that we lost. So I, I think it might have even been like Georgia Southern. But we did one where we pulled uh, Corcoran, the left guard. We pulled him all the way to the right side of the field to block a rushing linebacker coming. And he whiffs and the guy gets right around him. And it was like, man, that was a long you know, that was a really just a strange design to block a, you know, an outside guy. I mean, if we're. If we're struggling this much in the in just a pure pass pro pocket game, maybe simplifying things to the point of 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 just having your know, left tackle to, to right tackle lined up in the right spots and not not switching them so much <laughs> left to right is that might be an option if you're trying to do you know anything that's going to take more time. Now that's the other thing too. This is a play that's going to take some time to develop. So those plays that are going to take more time to develop, they might be some of the ones that I'd be ripping out of the playbook. Let's go to in a interception number two. Now, this is another one of the uh, unbalanced sets. Again, the right tackle, the far right tackle is actually the right tight end. That's Corcoran. So Corcoran moved from the left tackle over to the right tight end spot. And on the left side of the of the line is only the left guard. And then the tight end is, is lined up where the left tackle would be. Uh, as we watch this, so he throws the interception. Now, as you watch the right tight end, which is Corcoran, he gets beat around by by the guy he's going up against here. The guy gets around him pretty quickly. Now, to Corcoran's defense here, the guy has been our left guard to start the season. Then with injuries, he moves to our left tackle spot. Now in this pit play, we're moving him over to the right tackle spot. And that's in and of itself, we've added a complexity to something that we're already struggling with, which is drop back pass pro blocking. You know, everything becomes opposite when you switch from left to right. Your footwork's different. Your hands are different. Everything is and look, I'll be the first one to say that Corcoran has struggled. I mentioned it earlier. He was a left guard on a play earlier this year, pulling to block a guy, and he struggled there. Well, you know, we've got him in multiple positions, both sides of the line. And what can we do to simplify things? The other thing is, look at the backfield motion here by Casey uh, and the, the running back. I mean, if it's a play action at all, it's a weak play action at best. So we're not doing anything to make the defense have to see things pre-snap. We're not motioning guys across the field doing jet sweeps. We're not doing any kind of two-hand play-action motion with like a mesh or anything. The defense knows what we're doing basically the second it snaps. So they can play as fast as they want against us. So these are a couple examples. These are a couple plays where, you know, I think what we're doing is these plays take a little bit more time. We're moving guys around in the spots they're not always playing. We're doing some weird we're doing some weird, more unconventional kind of blocking uh, on it. And I think there's 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 things that can be done to simplify this. So do you have any questions before I move on to the to the positive play here? Yeah, well, well one question I have is like, who would be making these decisions on how the offensive line blocks this play? Is this more of a Whipple thing or a, a Raiola thing? That's a great question. I, I mean, all offseason, I would have told you, that Whipple and Frost were working together and creating this great scheme. And that's how you do this. Right? I mean, that's if you and I were, 
co-offensive coordinators working together. That's what we do, right? And then, you know, based off of what we hear, at least, it didn't always seem like that worked out that way, right? So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know who designs this play. You know, Osborne, I remember talking with Milt Teneper back in the day, Mac and I, and Teneper would talk about Osborne. He's like, he's, he's the best coach on the staff, period. I mean, he could coach running backs better than Frank could. He could coach offensive line better than I could. He could, you know, he knew every position. And to that point, I mean, Osborne probably could draw up the play from start to finish every single position and say, this is how I want it blocked. This is how I want every step of every single guy being made. I don't know right now. I don't know if Rayola creates these little, these little, you know, twist movements and all that, the, the pulling on yeah. some of the plays. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, the play I want to show here, because right now. Oh, I was just going to ask, Conky. Yeah, but hmm? my question was, you know, you, you've gone on these unbalanced lines here. Was our first touchdown out of an unbalanced line? I mean, what did we do something differently yeah. on that one? Or? Yeah, so this touchdown number one is out of the unbalanced line. And I wanted to highlight that. Oh, is that this isn't convenient. a knock? This isn't a knock on the formation. It's not that the formation itself is bad. We've had a lot of success running out of the unbalanced line to the weak side because when you think about what the unbalanced line does, you have a guard tackle tackle to one side. It forces the entire defense really to have to overshift. And then if you run to the back side of it, as long as the tight end Volklek, if he can on the back end, if he can get his block, I mean, a lot of times you have a numbers advantage on the weak side of it. So there's advantages to it. And this play that we're going to score here to Vokalek, as you see, it's unbalanced to the left. So the right tackle is actually Vokalek. And the left tackle or the right tackle switches over to the left tackle spot and the left tight end is uh, Corcoran. Now, let's watch it again. The right guard here, Bando, he pulls. Now, this is a full pull. I mean, he is moving from right to left to, and everything is a run motion. Uh, Casey has a two-hand mesh zone read to Grant. So the defense, watch the defense flow to the right here. This is a handoff to Grant as far as they're concerned. The pulling motion of the of the right guard actually even further uh, makes that look like it's going to be a handoff to the left. Uh, Greg Sharp, if you listen to the radio call of this, he totally was burned by it and said it's a handoff to Grant. Oh, no, no, it's not. That's the deception. And look at the defense, all the eyes that they have to have. Now, here's the thing. Watch number, I think it's 17 on defense here. He's the left outside linebacker, or maybe a corner. He ultimately, he turns around and he's like, oh, shit, I should have had Vokalek. And he's late. He doesn't get him. All right, so Purdue's going to watch this game. And Purdue's going to say, we got to make sure that we don't have let this happen. This dude, number 17 for Purdue, you're going to have to cover Vokalek. If he covers Vokalek, Casey has to pull it and run. He has to be yeah. willing to run it. This becomes a really a triple option, essentially. You know, it's do you hand the ball off to Grant? Uh, you're everything's quick. This isn't a, a long setup play. The, the, everything's intended to, to get rid of the ball quick. And Vocalex either going to be open or the guy is coming up. Yeah, you know, if the guy comes up on on uh, Thompson and Vocalek gets behind him, throw the ball. If the guy drops back to cover him, you're going to, you know, Casey's going to have to run a hole there for Casey to run. Yeah. Yeah. There's multiple options. There's things going on before the the play happened. Uh, It makes it an easier play there. And, and these are things that are part of the offense already. I I don't, I didn't want to come up here and say, Oh, we need to start, you know, getting in the I formation running triple option. I haven't seen us do that all year. So why would I suggest that it's what are the things that we're already doing? Well, so think of, think of what Bush did on defense. He tore out a bunch of stuff right away and said, we're not doing that stuff anymore. Okay. Now, 
how do I find a way to get Nelson Tanner Mathis on the field? You know, how do I get my best players out there? How do you know, that's what Bush essentially did right here. How do we play fast? And I think what I would start to do, I mean, if I had my kind of my five suggestions here, rip out some of the longer developing plays. We just aren't good at it right now for, for, you know, a lot, a lot of reasons. If it's going to take four or five seconds in the, in the uh, pocket to develop a pass play, a lot of that stuff I'd be ripping out right now. It just isn't, it's not worth it. Simplify some of the blocking schemes, you know, like we did on play one, all the, the little twist motion. I'd get, I'd knock some of that stuff out. The, uh, you know, if we're going to do any kind of three to four second drop back stuff, I would probably do that more in a, a traditional alignment of left tackle to right tackle and try to have everybody in their normal position. Cause I think we've seen examples like play number two, where Corcoran is playing on the right side instead of the left side. And he's being asked to block a different way. And it's just, it, we're just adding complexity to something that maybe doesn't need to be as complex. Uh, number three, use some deception in the backfield. Like we saw on, on the third one, the zone read, uh, pull, you know, jet sweep motion, the pulling of the, the guard that actually draws the, uh, the defense there. That's, you know, all those things in the backfield are things that are going to open, you know, make the play easier. And this is about simplifying and making things easier. Number four, roll the pocket. I mean, Dave, you've brought that up a number of times. You know, you'll text us every once in a while. You're like, hey, there was a rollout, honky. There was a rollout. And they, they tend to be <laughs> once a game. easy. Yeah, about once a game. And they tend to be pretty successful. Roll out of the pocket. And Casey's mobile enough to do that. And last but not least, don't be afraid to use Casey's legs. Don't be afraid to run the ball a couple times. I've never wanted him to run it 25 times a game, but there are times that he has to be able to run it. And if that's five, if that's six, if that's seven times a game, whatever it is, you know, if he came out and ran it eight times or nine times against Purdue, that would be significant because Purdue's not preparing for that. So those are things. And we we can't think of it as, oh, well, he can't do that because he's going to be injured. You know, we can't injure Casey and run him. He's getting injured right now without running him. He's getting he's getting some of the wickedest hits, as we saw there on interception one and two, and plenty of other ones. He's already taken those hits. So there are things within the offense, things we've already seen, some strengths. Focus more on those positives. Rip out some of the things that aren't working as well. And, uh, you know, that would be Honky's uh, little film session, I guess. My, my suggestions to Coach Wibble. Well, I learned a lot. Boomer, yourself? No, I thought that was very compelling and rich. I, I like it. So, no. no, it was Maybe. good. It's it's good to see that when you can actually put up the film. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, when you have a chance, go check it out on on YouTube, and you can really really see what you know Honky's talking about. I thought, I thought he did a good job of explaining it for those of you just listening. So, no, well worth <laughs> well worth a breakdown. So, all right, Honky. Anything else on on the offense, or uh, we good? No, I'm excited to see it this weekend. So I might be going to Purdue. So I, I, I might I'm not, be going. I'm not sure yet. I'll find out here in about 24 hours. So could have uh, another Redcaster on the road. All right, another <laughs> Redcast road trip. And Absolutely, keep the streak alive. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right, hockey. You want a parting shot before you let me and Boomer take care of the bedcast? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to start with uh, congrats to John Cook and the volleyball team. They are alone atop the Big Ten volleyball standings after a 6-0 start after two weekend sweeps at Michigan and Michigan State. So uh, never want to take it for granted. I'm not surprised by it, but never want to take it for granted. Uh, we are a volleyball school, and, and uh, congratulations. 
Uh, and then the second one is to Matt Davison. He uh, gave his last radio call for NU this last weekend after like 18 or 19 years on it. And he's going to head up a new NIL operation called the 1890 Initiative. Um, he, I know he kind of seems to be a polarizing figure within Husker Nation to some people for whatever, but I want to thank him for his time here, his years that he's put into the program, including the roughly $80 million that he's helped raise for the North Stadium Project. You know, for uh, I know there's people out there that what's he what's he been doing or you know you know just earning a check doing nothing but he was out there he was raising money there and i i give him my best wishes on the work that he's done and the work that he's going to be doing to help us get the uh, the next crop of players coming in here with nil so uh matt davison thank you for your time that's right alumni hall they just opened up a sweet new shop in downtown lincoln i believe it took over one of the other shops what shop was that honky it was husker headquarters they also have one at 56 and um highway 2 so yeah. there's two locations in Lincoln now. And yeah, and they just they just opened up there. And next time I'm in Lincoln, I'm definitely looking forward to going there and checking out this the store itself. You know, we we've we've gone around the Haymarket, checked out a couple stores there, but apparently this one is top notch and and you know, number one with all of like the actual licensed you know, swag and everything. And I got my shirt there too, so a little Herbie Love going on and you know, rock and roll. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, that's Alumni Hall. And you can also check their stuff out, alumnihall.com backslash Nebraska, I think it is. And you can see all of the stuff to purchase from them through there because they will send it to you in the mail. Let's get to the BetCast. The BetCast Picks of the Week. All right, Boomer. Well, um, we're, we're uh, infamous on, yeah. on Twitter with our picks, aren't we? Yeah, it, it. I think Caleb Henry might have the right idea here. Just, just, just pay attention. Just do the contrary of whatever we decide. Because dang it, even when Nebraska wins, I can't win. You know, that's that's the worst that's right. part about it. So Should I thought this would fall the, right into our lap with the inept Rutgers. The Nebraska, the Nebraska money line boomer. You'd have been safe. Yeah, that's what I should have done. But yeah, I, I thought yeah. I'd play the odds. Ah, so. oh, well, that's all right. Cool. Uh, so Caleb Henry, a local radio guy, calls us out on Twitter, says, uh, you know, time to fade the bet cast because we are I went one in one in four again this week. One in, one in three, excuse me. Um, and after seven, seven weeks, we are now 11 and 17. Now I'm four and three personally. And to our defense, um, it is challenging to pick one game out each and say that is your your best bet. Right. I mean, like. Uh, so, uh, you know, producer Skip um, hit this week. He got Ohio State. Um, I bet that game. I also hit that. Um, I bet that at like 24 and a half and did not sweat it. Um, you know, we usually submit our best bets on Thursday night to, to Swobes and he makes the graphic. Um, I was wrestling uh, on who to who to have my as my best bet. Um, I actually, for most of the day, had circled the TCU Kansas over at 68 and a half. And uh, sure enough, that hit. But I was like, no, that's a little risky. That's a lot of points. So I chose Michigan um, at 22 and a half. And of course, they only won by 21. And there's a lot of things that can happen on a game like that. Uh, Mike Hart, their running backs coach, collapsed on the sideline. And it seemed like they were a little bit phased there in that first half. Um, you know, Rob takes Kentucky to uh, cover six and a half. And he probably doesn't know when he submits that uh, best bet on Thursday night that Will Levis isn't going to play. Um, Kentucky's starting quarterback was out, and um, his replacement wasn't nearly as good as him. And uh, South Carolina wins by 10. So 
to your point, Boomer, I mean, hey, you got Nebraska to win, but uh, the three was just just too much. So um, maybe we'll uh, switch up the format and allow us to take more than one because well, we used to do that, um, Dave, and nobody cared. So yeah, we're we're trying to keep it brief. <laughs> so, yeah, we used to we used to have like uh, about three or four that we picked from, and our record was a lot better when we did that. So it but, was, it yeah, was. Yeah. We like to keep it brief, and you know. All right. Well, let's keep this brief because it's just us. Um, first off, the Nebraska Rutgers matchup um, started around eleven. Was it 12 and a half? Got 14 earlier today. I think it's at 13 and a half now. What are your thoughts on that? That's a that lens a lot larger than I expected it would be. I figured Purdue would be favored. I, I thought it would be closer to, you know, maybe a touchdown since it was in Lafayette. But yeah, I don't know what to make of that because, man, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I, I'm not, I, I, I would thought not more around the nine or 10. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, somewhere in that range, kind of the upper single digits. But yeah, 13 and a half is a lot of points, but they just don't have, they must not have a lot of faith in our defense stopping them or our offense scoring enough. And yeah, I could see that argument being made, but I'm not going to you know, bet this game at all. Nebraska's let me down at gambling once this year, so we won't do that that's again. Right. But uh, and yeah, to I, your point, though, I think what I would do, though, if you want to have fun with this mm-hmm. game, is the money yep. line bet would be the way to go. It got up to, what was it, Nebraska plus 520 earlier today? 520 earlier today. Yeah, so throw and, 10 bucks um, on Nebraska if you're just feeling saucy and, and have money to burn. And, hey, if you win, it's even double the fun because now you just pocket $52 there. So, yep, yeah, something right. like that just for fun. But, yeah, the line, I don't know what to make of that. So, yeah. Well, there is uh, quite a few big matchups um, across the Week 7 schedule with undefeated ranked teams, one of them right there in the Big Ten with uh, Michigan and Penn State uh, in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan uh, minus 7. I don't know um, if I'm going to jump on that one or not. Yeah. Um, Minnesota, Illinois, another good big matchup there. 4-1 and one Minnesota in Champaign to take on the ranked Fighting Illini. Yeah. Did you one. expect to say that earlier this year, Dave? The ranked Fighting Illini? Yeah. Minnesota is still favored by six and a half, and that probably might rise. I don't know. I'll be in this one soon. That, yeah, well, that's one you just got to be sure. Is Mo Ibrahim playing for sure perfectly healthy again? Because, man, if you'd that's bet him last week, you'd have gotten burned on it because he didn't. So, yeah, that's that's one of those where you watch. You you, you definitely wait and know who's playing before you place a bet on that one. So and didn't uh Illinois quarterback get dinged up this last week too, I think. Yep. Yeah, so that's one yeah, definitely a lot of quarterbacks are hurting yeah. right now. So do do your research on that game before you put anything on it. Yep. Kansas is in Norman. Uh, already seven and a half point dogs there, but they are ranked still um at five and one. Oklahoma yeah. uh, three games slide Did that line surprise you at all Dave? A little a little surprised um, and it's actually moving in Oklahoma's, um, you know, that more people are putting on money on the Sooners. So, yeah, I mean, I think Kansas can win that game. I, mean, I, I don't know what Oklahoma's too, doing yeah. right now. Especially if you get it like seven and a half. Jeez, you might just – I think you can keep it in a touchdown, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Iowa State's getting 16 and a half at Texas. Um, yeah. One that I think will be interesting – is USC going to Salt Lake City? The Utes um, are three and a half point favorites. Um, I think that's a good matchup for Utah, even though they're coming off of a loss. Um, they just play so much better at home. USC does not play well out there. It's the um, altitude, Dave. 
Yeah, maybe because I, I just think I think uh, Utah um, could take that one. That's a night game. That that place will be jacked up, ready yep. to go. And um, the other one I was looking at, Dave, just you know, for when you talked about big games, Alabama Tennessee. When is the last time yep. this game had this much relevance? And Tennessee is a seven and a half point dog yet. I mean, Alabama's been kind of escaping these last couple of weeks, and you know, this last weekend was just one of those boneheaded fourth and goal play calls yeah. I've ever seen. It's like yeah. Jimbo's daring to get fired. You know, just just see how badly you know. You think Iowa and Rutgers' offensive calls suck? Here's what I can do. I mean, that's you need true. two yards and you throw a one yard out to a receiver. I just, I don't understand that, but whatever. Well, but, I would watch, yeah. this is another one, just like the, you know, um, uh, like Kentucky with Will Levis, for example. Um, Bryce Young didn't play last week, right? Correct. Um, yeah, that does make a big difference. Yeah. It seems like, at your point of being surprised at Tennessee being a, over a touchdown dog at home to an Alabama team that seems to be struggling – this tells me that I think Bryce Young's probably playing, right? I mean, the Vegas insiders know all the stuff. It feels like, oh, they're good. But number... I mean, he played it. He played when they played Texas, though, didn't he? So, yeah, yeah. I just, I just think that. I mean, that'll make a difference, you know. I mean, um, we'll yeah, see. That, that'll we'll be see. a rocking environment, though, in, in Tennessee. So they, they kind of seem to struggle in some of these, you know, loud, noisy environments here. So that it'll be interesting, yeah. yeah but definitely watch yeah, that. That's another injury one to watch. So, now close to a hundred thousand there, I imagine. Two more really quick. Uh, Oklahoma State, eighth-ranked um, Cowboys, 5-0, and taking on TCU, 13th-ranked. Horned Frogs are also 5-0. and There's another one where you never thought that was going to happen at the beginning of the year. TCU's favored by three and a half. And then you've got uh, NC State um, trying to bounce back. Uh, and, and they have uh, Syracuse going to the Carrier Dome. Carrier Dome, 5-0. and Dino Baber saving his job yeah. again. Yeah, I don't know Amazing. how he manages to pull that off every week or every year, but he does, and they seem to be just squeaking by in games, and somehow they just do it. One, so, yeah. one good season every four years or so, and you're fine, apparently. It's yeah, like... and NC State's another one with an injury bug you got to watch. Their quarterback, that uh, what's his name, Leary, I think it was. He's Leary. got an arm injury, yeah. so yeah. So you got to watch for that, too. So, yeah, yep. so wait till the end of the week and before you know for sure on that. So. All right, we shall see. Anything else uh, on your on your sheet already? No, no, those are the early ones I think we had to watch. And love of God, let's have a better week this week. So. That's right, that's right. All right, Boomer, uh, let's get your parting shot in. Okay, well, my parting shot's pretty basic. You know, I don't have a whole lot going this week. It's just something, you know, we referenced kind of, kind of earlier in the show. Um you know, people kind of mentioned Matt Rule out there, and I know on Twitter a few people had noted the comparison. Some people run a poll. Uh, do people think Matt or Honky looks like Matt Rule? You know, we'll do a, I'll throw a Twitter great. poll out there later. So, and we'll we'll get some results, and we'll uh, run them here next week. So, does Redcast Honky look like Matt Rule, or are they the same person? I've never seen them in a room together. So, it, yeah. well, if we could hear Matt Rule break down some X's and O's. I well, could, that would think make we sense how have... Honky knows all this. So there, there yeah, might be something this, to this. This might reveal everything. I mean, it, and, just and why we never do put him on in that... Sunday because he's always busy in Carolina. So hmm. that blue shirt, you know. I mean, maybe, maybe there is, is something here. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I he seems like a very likely candidate. You know, Honky could just sense. walk Talk around as a doppelganger. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, great show. I'm glad Honky uh, broke down the offense. We missed Rob, uh, but um, 
That's uh, we'll have him back. I'm sure before you know it. For now, let's call that a go big redcast. Go big red. Huda Media Production.